0: Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay.
1: Hello, welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. I'm Melinda. And today we are going to be talking about A bunch of documentaries that we've watched, uh, mostly true crime. Um, There may be one or two here that is not exactly uh, true crime related. Um, But yeah, we're just going to go through them. A bunch of things that we've been wanting to watch. Um, Some are new, some are old. You may have heard other people talk about these in great detail before. But uh, we've never talked about these together. So we decided to do an episode where we're going to talk about some of these documentaries that we've been watching. We did try to watch ones that have not been
0: discussed as much on other Mm -hmm. uh, channels or venues, I should say.
1: Platforms. Thank
0: you. Podcasts. I know digital media. I'm great. Um, But there were a few that I know that Sharon, she just said this kind of, but Sharon and I have both seen and I'm dying. Like we're both like, yes, we've watched this, but like we haven't like gotten together and hashed it out ourselves so this is actually i think going to be really fun because there's a few that i'm just like oh i can't wait to dive in yeah so you guys are gonna i think we're gonna get some good at least between us we're gonna get some good dialogue going and i hope you guys enjoy it
1: okay so we're gonna cover a bunch of these documentaries um we're going to Try not to give away any spoilers. Uh, we'll let you know if we give away any spoilers. We'll just be kind of talking about the main points of everything that happens. Uh, so, yeah, don't worry. We won't ruin anything for you.
0: Or if we do, we'll at least give you a heads up so you can
1: fast forward. Yeah. And if we do, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the first documentary that I watched was called The Family I Had. And it is about a mother of two. Her name is Charity. Uh, This happened back in 2007. She was working at a local bar. She left her 13-year-old son, Paris, and her four-year-old daughter, Ella, alone with a babysitter. And Paris convinced the babysitter to leave. Soon after, he murdered his younger sister by stabbing her 17 times. Uh, He called the police and actually confessed to what he did. Um, And so the film uh, or the documentary basically follows the three main characters um, who are Charity, the mom, her mom. Uh, the grandmother of these two kids, Paris and Ella, who um, Charity is basically estranged from her her mother, um, and then Paris, who's the one who murdered his sister, and we find out a lot about the grandmother's past, which is actually pretty shocking. And without giving too much away, uh, let's just say that the apple does not fall far from the tree in this family. There's a lot of interviews with Paris, uh, who's interviewed from his maximum security prison uh that he's uh currently residing in um they talked to him a lot about the murders and then charity who's now this single mother who is mourning the loss of not only her daughter, but she's coping with the fact that her son might be a psychopath. Oh my god. And it's a very good example of nature versus nurture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you have not listened to our nature versus nurture episode, go back and listen to it. um, And then maybe watch this documentary if you haven't watched it yet. It's kind of interesting because the documentary starts out showing um, Paris as this really extremely intelligent, loving big brother, completely doting on his little sister. And it's really hard to comprehend how all of a sudden he could just do something like that, just stab his sister 17 times out of nowhere. But then there's all these different twists in the story, and then the truths start coming out. It's very similar to watching an episode of Evil Lives Here, I love Uh, that show. But it goes into a lot more detail. And that's all I'm really going to say about it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, There was a lot of twists and things that I did not really expect. Yeah. So check it out. I've not heard anything about this. Mm -hmm. And I
0: randomly saw it on Amazon and was going to watch it for this. But then you had already watched it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't. But how – I feel like how did we not hear about this a little bit
1: more? This is crazy. You mean back at the time that it happened? Yeah. I'm sh- you know what? I'm sure things like this happen. I know but all the still, time.
0: Wow, that's insane. I'm totally gonna watch it.
1: uh We should also say that we've been so busy, like catching up <laughs> on Christmas horror movies, and also we are trying to watch all the 2019 horror movies that we watched all these documentaries like a month or two ago. All right, Minnie, what do you got?
0: um Okay, Sharon and I both have seen this. Um, and this has been talked about in a lot of different places, but it's Chicago related. So we're going to we're just going to dive right into surviving R. Kelly. Um, Yeah, Sharon. Yeah, we're going to let's just do it. Let's just get it over. with.
1: <laughs> and yeah, this has been covered, I'm sure, by many different podcasts and it's been all over the news. But I just watched it. I binged it like two months ago and yeah, I was fucking shocked. I had no idea the depth of cruelty and abuse that Dude. r kelly perpetrated towards all these poor women
0: So yeah oh my god let's put a pin
1: in that we're gonna
0: really quick i'm gonna give you guys the wikipedia like quick summary
1: if you don't know what you probably do
0: i will say that it, the documentary opens with a clip of r kelly in a tv interview the interviewer says do you like teenage girls kelly says when we say teenaged How old are we talking? If That gives you any any idea as to what this is and where we're going. Uh. Um, From Wikipedia, The Basics, Robert Sylvester Kelly, uh, born January 8th, 1967, is an American singer, songwriter, record producer. He's credited for helping redefine R&B and hip hop. Since the 90s, Kelly has been the subject of numerous allegations of sexual abuse and misconduct, often with underage girls all charges he, in quotes, categorically denies. In 2002, he was indicted on 13 counts of child pornography but was acquitted of all charges in 2008. Uh, In January 2019, a widely viewed lifetime documentary series, which we are currently talking about, Surviving R. Kelly, detailed allegations of sexual abuse by multiple women, allegations, of course, Kelly denies, Uh, facing pressure from the public Using the mute R. Kelly hashtag, RCA records dropped Kelly. Thank God. On February 22nd, 2019, Kelly was indicted on 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse. Uh, July 11th of this year, Kelly was arrested on federal charges alleging sex crimes and obstruction of justice. Uh, Kelly faces a total of 18 federal counts, including child pornography, kidnapping, forced labor. And that's all as of... July twelfth. I I was shocked when this documentary came out because I happened upon it like as it was airing on TV, and I went, "Wait a minute." We all knew that R. Kelly. He got arrested. He's written. Isn't he in jail? Like I had no idea that like he beat the charges that many times. I don't know if you did, Sharon, but I had no idea.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Throughout the uh, documentary, many executive producers and stuff are interviewed from the music biz, other musicians chicago music producer craig williams appears in the documentary and he talks about at one point going to kelly's music studio and finding a fucking bed in the recording studio and girls everywhere young girls young girls after the lifetime doc aired williams backpedaled like a motherfucker quote clarifying his comments in an interview with essence which we can put the link up if anyone's interested but it's just gross um he said the naked underage girl williams saw kelly fondling when he visited the recording studio in 2003 uh he now refers to as a woman saying she was an underage was at least in her 20s but there were other underage girls there for sure Uh, He wanted to make it clear that he's not part of Kelly's entourage. He's a family man, not a party guy. Uh, He claims he agreed to be interviewed by Lifetime, quote, because the entertainment industry is fucked up and that's why I spoke up. But obviously it is taken out of context and it made me part of his circle, which was not the case. So, okay, this is what I want. This was like what I really wanted to talk about, because the the documentary interviews uh, specifically specific victims of his who... Kudos to those women for coming forward and Mm -hmm. being interviewed. This was this hot guy that was a singer that they were like 12, 13, 14, and they looked up to him. Some of them wanted to be singers themselves. So, like, you get starstruck, and you're stupid at that age. And he promises them record deals, and he's going to make them famous, and he
1: cares about them. So,
0: like, I had no... I wasn't sitting there going, how do these women want to go off with it? Because, like, I would understand if I was 14 and a rock star that I loved asked me to go with him, of course, I'd be like, when do how do I sign up? Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that, like, I was very moved by these women just for speaking up and acknowledging that even Mm -hmm. a lot of times that they were young and stupid and I wish them all well. Having said that, this little Bit I just talked about with Craig Williams every time he appeared on the screen I wanted to punch him in the face because he tells a few stories about seeing things and knowing things and I'm sure that the answer is none but how culpable are the people that worked with R. Kelly are they being held to any sort of justice at all I guess not probably but
1: I have no idea but speaking of that a place where I used to work and bartend at yes. for a, a long time in my 20s in the Chicagoland area. And this is way before I knew about all these allegations. And the. I mean, yes. I heard a little bit about it, but I knew I was like, OK, it, he's never been like officially charged. He's never gone to prison. He's never, you know, and he's still out there. He's still making music. He's still touring. Exactly. But one of his drivers slash bodyguards used to come into my work almost every single day And sometimes he would come in with his two young kids. Sometimes he'd come in with his dad. Sometimes he'd be in there twice a day. And I think back on it now, and it makes me sick to my stomach because he must have known this shit was going on. And maybe he even helped him get women and help cover it up and keep it secret. And also there was a girl that I worked with who is friends with R. Kelly not going to say her name but I think she actually like her family knew his family like she would call him Rob she'd be like oh that's just Rob that you know she would she'd go to parties at his house all the time yeah but she as far as I know was not one of these girls that was being held prisoner there I don't know if she knew what was going on because she would come and go all the time like she had her own life she wasn't living there she would go to parties at his house she seemed really friendly with him so it's just really really weird like watching this documentary and they actually talked about one of his victims and Mm -hmm. they said her name and it was the name of the girl that I work with and my heart like I was like Oh my god, but it was actually a different girl with the same name. Oh, oh my God. But I was for, like, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> no, for a second I was like, holy shit, she was one of the victims, but it just happened to be another girl with the same exact name. I like I'm really, really curious to know like what she knew. And I'm really curious to know what this driver knew. And this driver, he was like a fucking creep anyways. Like he would come in and like all the girls that I worked with, they like knew this guy was like a fucking creep. Uh, and I actually met R. Kelly one time I was just gonna say (laughs) yeah and this was when I was like really young like in high school um me and my friend and my friend's brother we were walking around the city and we were at the rock and roll Mm -hmm. McDonald's in Chicago and he was just like sitting in this like red convertible out in the parking lot and my friend's brother was like oh my god that's R. Kelly so we went over to his car and we were like talking with him and we got his autograph and like Ugh. Like, it just makes me, I was, like, so disgusted during the whole documentary just thinking about, like, ugh. even just, like, talking with him briefly and knowing people who, like, would go to his house and people who worked for him. It's like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, I remember when you guys met him because I, I think you were meeting me afterwards and you guys were like, holy shit, we just met R. Kelly. <laughs> and I was like, what? And But there was a point in the documentary where they do mention something about, like, he was known... Ugh. He'd be yeah. like driving around
1: Chicago Well
0: yeah but they did say of course That he would hang out in his car In places outside or close to Like high schools which gross yeah. But they, I think they did mention That he would like sometimes be seen hanging out At places like McDonald's mm-hmm. or whatever And I
1: instantly was like oh my god And he had young girls with him and I assumed That they were like Ugh. His family members or something Like maybe little sisters or something I don't know because I, I think one of them was like Really little like almost like toddler and then he has kids right yeah i don't know if it was his kid though i think this was before he had kids this was i mean this was a long time ago this was probably back in like 93 94 we didn't at that point when you met him none of this was really i don't know yet i don't think honestly i was listening to fucking pearl jam and rem so i wasn't like really in that world
0: um. For me, what was really upsetting as well is that um, for the African-American community and specifically because we're from Chicago, so it's just so close to home for I feel like for, for both of us. But like he does have a lovely voice and in that respect is really talented. And like he made he got famous and made a lot of mus- money in music because of that. Mm-hmm. And there he would would like support his local schools where he grew up in his communities and they even interview his music teacher from like elementary school or high school or something who's awesome and like uh, like 90 some years old but she just yeah. it was like I told him you've had pain in your life don't bring pain on others lives or something like that I didn't write down the quote but I just feel like that he let them down cuz he was like such a proud not spokesperson but like the community in Chicago looked up to him and he was a he would have been a great role model mm-hmm. and of course he he's the one who wrote I believe I could fly which is such an inspirational song i mean people would sing it in churches and it's just like way to piss on everybody's hopes no pun intended i swear to fucking god <laughs> but it just infuriates me and the fact that i straight up was like wait no he's in jail why have we not heard about This has still been going on this whole time. Like, let's be honest, if it were white girls, it would have probably made more news. Well, that's the
1: whole point of it. That's the whole point of the documentary. I was just
0: so angry because I'm like, I I was like, I remember he got called out publicly for the tape thing and was like, clearly he went to jail because that was a minor. Like, and that was proven or whatever. Well, that it was a minor, not he they still couldn't. denies and everything. And then she and,
1: denied being
0: in the video. Which, how horrifying! Obviously, in her community, like locally, it would have been known because they talked to like her family and and her her aunt actually was musically collaborating with R. Kelly. She's a singer, and so that's actually how she met R. Kelly because her aunt thought it would be cool to take her to the studio one day. I just, yeah. So I do recommend people watch this. It's it's a rough one, but I think it's required viewing because this is gross that we're even having this conversation. And I was utterly
1: disappointed in, like, humanity (laughs) by the end of it that, like... But the main point, which you kind of touched on, is that if it was white women, something would have been done. Totally. The fact that it was women of color, no one fucking did anything for the longest time. No one seemed to want to believe them. There was no justice for them, which just goes to show in this day and age, still, there is so much systemic racism, institutionalized racism, and we need to treat people of color with way more respect, dignity, and... Like human beings? Uh, yeah. It was not... The other thing, too, is that
0: it wasn't like it was on the DL. Like It was so obvious and so... Like you were talking about the guy that would come into the bar where you worked like everybody who was associated with him knew like it was he was not hiding it. That was the other thing that shocked me how blatant he was about it. But he could be because you know what? He made a lot of money and those record producers wanted some of that money, too. So why would they say anything? And then the fact that it wasn't white girls. But, you know, it's just disgusting. So everybody, especially white people, should watch it and sit through listening to these women talk about what they had to endure because fuck the system.
1: Agreed. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on to The Witness. So The Witness is a documentary about the murder of... Kitty Genovese which happened in 1964 in Queens New York it is one of the most famous murder cases to come out of New York City and into the national spotlight and the thing that has made this case so popular and well known around the world wasn't the crime itself but the press coverage that alleged that there was over 38 witnesses to the murder who did not come to Kitty's defense or call the cops oh my god There are reports that um, one witness actually watched. So she was basically attacked at least twice. I I read in other – when I was researching this um, a little more after the documentary, uh, it did say she was attacked three times. But I think in the documentary they only mentioned two attacks – But the first time she was attacked and stabbed, uh, there was reports that a witness saw that entire first attack and then just went back to his apartment and went to sleep. Oh, my God. So the documentary follows um, the youngest brother of Kitty. He's basically just looking for the truth of what happened the night that his sister was murdered, and he just wants to really find peace and closure because him and his sister, they had a really, really close relationship. Um, there was a huge age difference uh, between the two of them, um, but they they were the closest amongst all the siblings, it seemed like. The documentary basically deals with... Um, how the media distorts facts to sell stories, which Ooh. is still, it's very relevant to what goes on today. You don't say. Some things just never change, Mindy. Right. Basically, the false news reports that the papers are printing around this time ruin the lives of the victim's family even more than just dealing with the death of their loved one alone. And the case also has led to what is known as the bystander effect, which occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. Basically, the theory is that the greater the number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help to a person in distress. Huh. And people are more likely to take action in a crisis when there are few or no other witnesses present. So huh? I just thought it was a really interesting documentary. Uh, it moves a little slow uh-huh. in parts, uh, but basically well I don't want to give the ending away but it's it's a pretty famous well-known story so a lot of people probably have seen this documentary and already knows no know, they already know what happens um but anyways I liked it and would totally recommend checking it out
0: I think we. I should have probably prefaced that, like, for the ones, documentaries that Sharon watched that I didn't, I specifically did not really read a lot of her notes because I wanted to just hear her tell these. And so I actually hadn't heard of this story. I'm totally going to watch this, but I didn't know if I was ready because I was like, this is going to be intense. And so maybe once, maybe when on Christmas break. <laughs> cool. Thank you Yeah. For sharing. Because R. Kelly was kind of harsh, we're going to. I'm going to go a little out of order in my list and we're going to go into cons- some conspiracy theory shit a little bit here. Um, on Netflix, there's a documentary called Patient 17, which uh, shout out to the podcast Stuff They Don't Want You To Know. If you guys listen to this, shout out to you. But that's how I heard about this documentary. A surgeon claims to have removed more than one highly advanced piece of nanotechnology um, from patients who have supposedly no knowledge of how it got there. The documentary follows one patient through the process and well, you should watch it and find out what happens. They actually do show the devices in, that are in question um and they're so freaking small, uh they are encased in those magnifying glass box things mm-hmm. because you literally can't even see it. What's interesting to me about this documentary See it with
1: the naked with eye. Naked eye,
0: sorry, thank you for clarifying. What's interesting to me about this documentary is that odd. I I was about to say something, but then I went, "That's a giant spoiler," and I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say it. Um, but this is these aren't people going. Kubrick made The Shining to hide the fact that he actually filmed the moon landing or, or something like some crazy ass conspiracy shit. Like they actually tested. Like scientists have tested these little pieces of technology that were dug out of these patients' bodies, and they, it's made from, like, minerals and things that are not common to our Earth or exist hmm. on our Earth. So it, it's not, like, people, like, crazy outlandish, al- like, alien shit. Like, there's actually something weird involved that's tangible that's been found. Um, what years? Set this aside, I think, from other documentaries like this. And I don't remember the year. It's on Netflix. It's fairly recent.
1: No, but um, I mean, like, when the surgeon was removing these, do you, is this, like, recent? Is yeah. this in the 60s? Is no, this... no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was recent.
0: It's, like, like, 2000s. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check that out if you like the alien conspiracy stuff, um, because this is something that actually does have some sort of point of discussion as opposed mm. to just... This is my theory because I've been receiving radio waves from aliens since I was five.
1: Interesting. Is there like a common thread between these people? Or sort is that of, but I don't really want to say too okay. much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll yeah. just watch it and find out because I have not heard of this documentary. Where is it on?
0: I saw it on Netflix.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So- so what you I got think, for us, Sharon? I think I'm going to talk about the imposter next, which is something that like I always see and was just like, eh, I don't really feel like watching it. And then I finally watched it. And yeah,
0: I got it. I just wanted to say that one day I was at work and I got this very ecstatic text from Sharon that was like, oh, my God, if you haven't seen the imposter, you really, really need to watch it. Holy shit. And I haven't had a chance to yet, but she I'm I'm ready to be blown away.
1: I don't know if this is going to blow you. away. I don't remember even texting you that because I I, honestly, it it didn't really blow me away that much. I think you're making that up. I think that was a dream. (laughs) Um, You did say you did indicate that you. I mean, it was an interesting documentary and it's kind of like, what the fuck? But um, yeah, without ruining anything about the documentary, um, basically you can read the uh, synopsis on IMDb or whatever. Uh, It's about a, A young man in Spain who claims to be the missing son of a family from Texas. So back in 94, uh, Nicholas Barclay went missing at the age of 13. Three and a half years later, the Barclay family gets a call out of nowhere saying Nicholas has been found and he's in southern Spain. Oh, okay. I have heard of this story, but continue, sorry. So Nicholas's sister goes to Spain to get her brother, who now has darker hair, eyes, skin, and speaks with an accent. (laughs) And the family is just like, yeah, you know, come back. Oh yeah, you're our son, come back, live with us. Don't really ask him any questions. Things don't really add up. Eventually a private investigator gets involved, who's kind of suspicious of the whole case and tries to uncover the truth. Who is this new Nicholas? What happened to the real Nicholas? Was he murdered by his family? Did he run away? Have major eye cornea surgery? You have to kind of watch to uh, to figure that out.
0: Cool. Well, I do want to watch and figure that out.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I think the the story behind um, the the guy from Spain who claims to be the mm. this this Nicholas. I would prefer to actually see a whole documentary about his entire life or a movie okay. even made about his entire life. Cause his life is way more fascinating than just this one story. Huh. That's all I'm going to say okay. about that. And the other thing is I thought it was really funny. I don't know if this was intentional. <laughs> I think it was probably a little intentional. They made the family from Texas, Seem really dumb, <laughs> oh! Which I guess maybe the um the documentary makers might have done that on purpose to seem really like, well. Just there are biased documentaries out there, clearly. Yeah, I just I mean this family. I mean they're kind of from like this really small town in Texas. I think they kind of um well they they didn't really live like in a trailer park, but they mm. you know they weren't the most well educated mm. family, culturally experienced family. Mm-hmm. And when the sister went over to Spain, there, I mean, there was like certain things that they like left in the documentary um, for a reason, I think. Like, oh. when she got the call, like, my brother's in Spain. And I swear her exact words were, Spain, that's on the other side of the country. Oh. It's <laughs> like, huh, hmm. Do and you know where Spain is? And then when she flew to Spain and she was talking about her experience over there, she was like, yeah, it was crazy. Like, they had Coca-Cola here. And like, I was Aww. like, oh, my God. Like, do you like, yeah, they just not seem very cultured, which maybe they left some of that in. Yeah, To you make wonder. it seem like they were not smart enough to realize that this was not their missing son, brother, whatever, family member. I don't know. Hmm. But I was like, all right. That's kind of mean. Yeah. I thought it was a little mean that they wouldn't edit that out because it was a little mm. embarrassing. Okay. Well, now I kind of really want to watch it.
0: (laughs) I have a lot of watching to do, and I'm so intimidated by my list now. And we have
1: so little time to watch all the things (laughs) we need to watch. All right, Mindy. What do you have next?
0: Okay. So we're going to change it up a little bit and lighten the mood a tad. Um, I want to talk about the Netflix documentary American Vandal. Um, Sharon and I have both seen this. We'll say this, I watched this because I was having a really bad day and a friend of mine was like, I know that you love true crime, just watch the opening scene and basically forced me and I sat through the opening scene and then at the very end of the opening scene, my jaw hit the floor, I lost my shit and the very first thought I had was, oh my god, Sharon has to watch this right now. I think I might
1: have even texted you that. (laughs) And don't lie, your friend wasn't like... You might like this cuz you liked your crime. No. Your, your friend was like, "I know how much you love dicks." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you love fucking cock so much. Spoiler, you, Sharon. You need to watch this documentary, mockumentary actually. Yeah, so about dicks.
0: <laughs> so that so my point is I didn't know that that's what this was. And that's what it is, <laughs> but it's so not and the reason I I want to talk about that about this because it's fucking brilliant. Sharon said that she thinks it's maybe the most creative thing that Netflix has done, and I would agree. So the basics, the premise of this thing, let's start with that, but we're going to try really hard not to give too much away so that those of you who haven't seen it can watch it. So American Vandal is a school project produced and directed by Peter Maldonado and his best friend Sam Eklund both of whom basically run their high school AV room and club and the, news, the school news show. Uh, shot using recognizable true crime documentary tropes, uh, including the whole thumbtack string and all, uh, Peter and Sam investigate a recent vandalism on campus and the school board's decision to expel senior Dylan Maxwell as a punishment for the crime, even though he denies involvement. An own class clown and goof off. Has Dylan finally gone too far? Or is Dylan the victim of a brilliant and hilarious setup meant to divert attention? Peter and Sam investigate to find out who drew the dicks. <laughs> um, seriously, everything about this documentary is... I know it sounds ridiculous what I just said, but this is so... Well done. It's almost unreal. The characters are ones that you will recognize from your own high school experiences. The writing is amazing. The true crime format is something that they, I mean, they nail it. The opening credits, it's like slow-mo dramatic music. The series lead is like looking off into the distance with a soft focus. I mean, the humor is crass and awesome. The vandalism we're speaking about, because it comes out right away, uh, is a series of spray-painted dicks which appeared on all of the school's faculty's cars, discovered at the end of a teacher institute day. Um, There are scenes I still, after watching it like three times, need to pause for laughs and get tissues. Um, It's brilliant in every way. Uh, The show also has lots of heart, and it's not afraid to be vulnerable. Um, especially in season two. Um, I honestly can't rewatch this enough. And uh, since I've rewatched this a thousand times, uh, pro tip, pay attention to the end credits for each episode. The show seriously got every detail covered.
1: Yeah. If you haven't watched this, definitely watch it, especially if you want to watch something true crime-ish, but take a break from murder. This is, it's so good. But it's also like incredibly
0: relevant to high school the high school experience today in society and I'm not going to say more than that but because season two impressed they like took it to another level they, I'm still speechless it's awesome if you would like dicks and poop
1: <laughs> it's amazing It's watch this mockumentary That's all and who doesn't That's all we're going to say all right, back to some more depressing shit. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Devil Next Door, uh, yes. which is a newer documentary on Netflix. So it's about a um, a grandfather from Cleveland whose name is John Demanyuk. Um He is brought to trial in Israel, accused of being the infamous German death camp guard known as Ivan the Terrible. Mm. Uh, This man may or may not have been responsible for some of the most atrocious, inhumane, and despicable crimes ever committed against man. The Holocaust is quite possibly the most horrible thing that has ever happened in history. Mm. And if you disagree with that statement, you can kindly go fuck yourself. Thank you. Yes. So now just imagine that someone told you that your grandfather, who's like this big old teddy bear like kind and loving man that helped raise you and they said you know what he's actually responsible for some of the most atrocious (laughs) inhumane and despicable crimes ever committed against man you would say to those people you can kindly go fuck yourself right so basically that's what happens in this documentary out of nowhere this grandfather in Cleveland is accused of being this horrible German death camp guard and he's brought to trial. So just a little background about Ivan the terrible and they go into this in way more depth in the, um, in the documentary itself. He was stationed at the Treblinka death camp built and operated by a um, Nazi Germany in occupied Poland during world war two, 850,000 Jews died there. <laughs> Uh, and his kids said he could not be Ivan the Terrible. Like, there's no way he could be Ivan the Terrible. That man was a sociopath. But how many oh. people have, you know, thought that about their parents and have no idea? You know, BTK, Green River Killer, Richard Kuklinski. All their kids had no idea what monsters that their fathers actually were. Oh, That's how God. sociopaths survive. You right. Know? they hide in plain sight. So... On top of the main story, um, which I just told you about, there is an Israeli lawyer who represented John Demanyuk, which kind of creates another layer of complexity mm. because obviously the Israelis hated this lawyer for representing this guy who they all basically just believed without a doubt to be uh, Ivan the Terrible. So he's another hated protagonist in this story. Uh, I thought the documentary was very unbiased, in my Ooh, opinion. Okay. It's basically a nightmare for everyone involved. Uh, it's for, you know, the Holocaust survivors reliving their horrors, which they, they show actual court footage oh, of God. these people retelling their stories. I mean, people who were children at the time this happened yeah. and remembered Ivan the Terrible and saw the things Ivan the Terrible did to their family yes, and gosh. friends and, you know, other people.
0: I will say that I did want to watch this and didn't specifically cuz I was like it's I don't intense. think I can deal
1: right now. Yeah. It's it's really intense and it's you know, it's a nightmare for the family of the accused too because they always knew their that's so crazy. Their loved one as one way, you know, this was like their father, their husband, their their grandfather and now all of a sudden He's being accused of all these horrible crimes and might be executed in Israel. So yeah, and it goes back and forth. Like I found myself during the whole documentary being like, oh, no, 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 he's innocent. Or, oh, no, he's definitely guilty. Oh, "Oh, no, he's innocent. No, 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 he's definitely guilty, which is the way they portray it. You know, I, I do think it's very unbiased. And there was some criticism of the documentary because I'm not a history buff and Mm. I'm horrible at geography but I I guess the um the map of Poland that they showed in the documentary was um an actual map of present-day Poland when they were showing like the Treblinka death camp interesting which it was not a part of Poland it was Mm -hmm. um in German occupied Poland, yeah. So I think now because of the backlash against that, they're putting a little disclaimer in the documentary saying that this is the wrong map of Poland and that it was in Nazi occupied Poland. But isn't that because still- they don't want the, them thinking that the Polish people? Oh, 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 oh! I see. Were what you're saying. were the ones holding these people prisoners and the ones running the death camp? It was. It's different. So it's, it's not current day Poland. Yeah. It's Nazi Germany um, occupying yeah. Poland during the war and using that area as a death camp. And it's not the Polish people who are doing this. Which, but anyways, anyways, that's just, if you've heard criticism about the documentary, that's the criticism. They have fixed it. So, yeah. So I just, if people have not watched this because they heard this criticism. Yeah. Okay. I will I'm that's the only reason I'm even bringing this up don't let it stop you from watching it yeah don't yeah. let it stop you from watching it at all because I do think it's a heavy documentary so I'll just leave you with my favorite quote from the documentary okay which is a little on the lighter side Um, so my favorite new quote for calling out someone's bullshit which they used in the documentary is don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining outside. (laughs) Wow, I love it. So. There you go. You'll be hearing me say that a lot. (laughs) Next time you try and bullshit me, Mindy. Alrighty then. The next documentary I want to talk about, which I think everyone needs to fucking watch, it's called Crime After Crime. This description comes straight from IMDb because it does such a good job of summing it up. The story of the battle to free Debbie Piegler, an incarcerated survivor of brutal domestic violence, Over 26 years in prison cannot crush the spirit of this determined African-American woman despite the injustices she has experienced. First at the hands of a duplicitous boyfriend who beat her and forced her into prostitution and later by prosecutors who cornered her into a life behind bars for her connection to the murder of her abuser. The story takes an unexpected turn two decades later when a pair of rookie land use attorneys cut their teeth on her case and a Attract global attention to the troubled intersection of domestic violence and criminal justice. I did some more research after I watched the documentary um, because it was so moving and I loved it so much. Um, This comes from crimeaftercrime.com and also from the documentary itself. Of the 120,000 plus women behind bars in the U.S., over 80% are survivors of domestic violence, rape, and other forms of abuse.
0: Oh my god.
1: Deborah was the 24th woman to have been freed through California's law for incarcerated survivors of abuse. In 2002, thanks in large part to the efforts of convicted women against abuse, California becomes the first state in the U.S. with a law allowing victims of domestic violence who are serving time in prison for murdering their abusers to ask that their cases be reopened. The new hearings allow these victims of abuse to present evidence of the violence and control they were subjected to. If the court concludes that this evidence would have made a difference in the outcomes of their cases, the inmate may be released from prison. California remains the only state with such a law, but hopefully it'll set a precedent for other states to adapt this law in the future. After learning of Debbie Piegler's case from the California Habeas Project, Nadia Costa agrees to take the case pro bono. Nadia soon recruits Joshua Saffron. Safran, Saffron. I apologize uh, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Sorry, Josh. Another lawyer, well, <laughs> Joshua, to join her in an effort to use California's new law to secure Debbie's freedom. The rest of the documentary covers these lawyers fighting to free Debbie over the next seven years. The media gets involved. Websites go up. Petitions are started. Celebrities use their voices to get her story heard. Protesters hold rallies outside the DAA's office. And during this whole time, you are absolutely moved to tears at Debbie's positivity and strength throughout this whole horrible ordeal. She's such an inspiration. This, I mean, this documentary... It's sad. It's horrible what she went through, and it's the the worst part is that it took seven fucking years to get her to be free. Um, but the entire time, she just stays so she stays so positive. She's helping rehabilitate other inmates in prison she I mean she's involved in a choir there she's giving inmates like meaning and purpose and and teaching people how to read and educating them and she's such an inspiration she helped so many people in prison she was the ideal inmate and still her Parole, like every time she was up for parole, despite all these new facts that came out in this new law, her Mm -hmm. parole kept getting denied. It was so fucking ridiculous, which let's bring it up once again. Yeah. You know, to the R. Kelly thing. If this was a white woman, would the circumstances have been different? Yeah. That was going to be my question. Did they cite reasons why they wouldn't (sighs) let her go? I mean, just watch the documentary to see it all. It'll make you furious. Um, oh great (laughs) but but just seeing her and how positive she is you reflect on your own life and you're like things are never as bad as they could be (sighs) yeah and if someone like her can stay so positive dealing with all the fucking bullshit she had to deal with you can get through your day yeah she's This is why I I was crying at the end. It was like more tears of like happiness. I mean, it was frustration, but it was also happiness and inspiration. And when she was released from prison, uh, she started the Deborah Piegler campaign to end domestic violence and wrongful incarceration. And uh, she advocated for other victims of wrongful incarceration and abuse And it's just it's such a beautiful, well done documentary. Highly, highly recommend everyone watch it. Awesome. All right, Mindy. And you have one more documentary that you're going to talk about. I do.
0: Um, This one is a Netflix documentary from 2016. It's called Hostage to the Devil. I specifically did not research anything about this. This guy thinking I'm going to watch a documentary on this subject. And so I'll learn from watching that. Right. Uh, Kind of. But let's just get into it. Um, this is a, a story about Father Martin, who was an Irish priest and part of the cool crowd at the Vatican. And I should probably also preface this by saying I am not ripping on Catholics or the Vatican or Jesuits. Like, this is not me, like making fun of anybody no disrespect
1: the documentary but, does that for you
0: yes thank you Sharon <laughs> I am ripping on the documentary essentially and this is the tone <laughs> so basically father Martin uh, was part of the cool crowd in the Vatican he was heavily connected and an exorcist for real these guys
1: what?
0: yeah Martin started as an intelligent charismatic scholar uh, who bored with the Jesuit life requested a rescript in Latin. I'm putting that in air quotes. And what that is is basically a Catholic get-out-of-jail card, saying a priest is relieved of his vows of obedience and po- poverty, meaning that he can get the hell off the pope's couch and get a damn job, aka leave the Jesuit life. Uh, Martin came to America in '64 and moved to New York. Wasted no time uh, quickly becoming an author and a talking head on TV and radio in the 60s and 70s. And boy, is his resume something. Uh, He helped actually translate the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is actually kind of amazing. Um, He worked on uh, Vatican II, uh, the Second Vatican Council, which if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Um, They say that many in the Vatican feared that he was going to blow up Catholicism with the mountains of dirt he apparently had on everyone and everything important, um, including the third prophecy of Fatima. He was like all fire and brimstone and loved to talk. Uh, We saw a few clips where Martin appeared with Lorraine Warren, actually, to preach about the dangers of the devil. Because he's real, y'all. He'll send demons to possess your children. You thought the exorcist was scary? A real one is ten times worse. And I'm not even kidding. He, like, literally said something like that. He wouldn't shut up about how society is doomed. And the main reason being that apparently he claims that the Vatican did not act on the third prophecy of Fatima. And so this is where I was saying that like, there's a lot that I felt, there were holes in this documentary because that actually wasn't even, that part wasn't even mentioned in the documentary. I found that on Wikipedia. So thanks, Wikipedia. He was an awful person, basically. I would actually, if someone said he was Ivan the Terrible, I would be like, yep, I believe that. I'm paraphrasing here. But the intention in his words is exactly what he said. He, Martin expressed on radio shows, on TV, to anyone who will listen, one of the many reasons for society's downfalls, he specifically said, was legalized abortions or allowed abortions and birth control as being contributing factors to society evolving into a flaming garbage fire headed straight for destruction i'm not even exaggerating also all the free love hippies booze not fearing the devil drugs kittens kittens his ike didn't really say that like but i mean it's basically everything great is is awful and we're all gonna go to hell and his followers are fanatically devout nobody really says anything that he some there's a lot of people that say like he had all this controversial shit that he would say but they don't really get into that so this documentary was weird but if i got anything from it this guy's personality was off like he sucked big time one of his biggest followers i not followers i guess he claims he was his friend but uh his Mar- father martin's buddy robert tells us at the end of the documentary how in 1999 he drove martin to meet a family who they weren't they never he martin would, didn't expressly tell him it was for an exorcism but like robert knew because this is what what father martin did martin died at the age of 78 after meeting this family in his manhattan apartment from an intracerebral hemorrhage did i say that right Basically he fell off
1: intracerebral, a-
0: yeah. Awesome. Basically he fell off a stool in his apartment and his and hit his head. Or did he? Um the doc claims that Martin did fall, but he managed to call his friend Robert in his last few moments and claimed a demonic force pushed him. Not that he's a clumsy 78-year-old whack job ranting about loud music and kids on the lawn. That's maybe a little harsh, but The guy came across to me as transparently manipulative, uh, like the recognizable classic cult leader in the making, and his audience were people that, of course, were ripe for the picking, you know, had been through horrible times, needed some sort of pick-me-up or inspiration. He was smart in that he knew his experience at the Vatican was of interest. Uh, He wrote so many books was on TV, got famous. I mean, Wikipedia does talk about the apparently numerous scandals or accusations against Father Martin, but you won't hear much about that in the documentary alone. I think my takeaway is that I'm just really glad that like Twitter and the internet weren't around in Martin's time because he would abuse the shit out of that. And like people would be freaking out that the world's going to end tomorrow. But he was a terrible person.
1: Do you recommend the documentary?
0: I'm on the fence because I thought it was worth watching to get a feel for him. The facts I'm obviously clearly fuzzy on because like the documentary based off of that was kind of fuzzy on him too. But you get to hear him speak and see him in old news clips and interviews and stuff like that. And... No doubt, disguised, guy batshit crazy, but smart as fuck and kind of your stereotypical corrupt Catholic priest because he left the Jesuits and came to New York of all places and knew to go right to the media and knew exactly what to say to rile people up and get attention and get famous and make money.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think I'll skip that one too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I have one more documentary to talk about and I'm sorry to end this episode on kind of a depressing note, but this was a really depressing documentary. Thank you, because I was going to watch this one, and then (laughs) you were like, oh boy. (laughs) I mean, I like it, and I mean, I'm going to recommend it, but it is pretty brutal um so this is the cheshire murders which is a documentary about a brutal home invasion in cheshire connecticut in 2007 two convicted criminals stephen hayes and joshua i'm gonna fuck this up uh that's Kamis- a weird name Kamis- Kamisar- broke into the petite family's house um which consisted of william Petit jr his wife jennifer hawk Petit, who was a former noah's who was a former nurse um, who had been recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Oh, my God. Which they didn't even mention that, I don't think, in the documentary. Oh, really? I found that out afterwards when I was doing some more research. And their two daughters, Haley, 17, and Michaela, 11. um, So they broke into their home, which they intended to rob. However, the burglary quickly transformed into a... Terrifying home invasion that included multiple acts of assault, rape, torture, a triple homicide, and ended in arson. So there's a lot of different themes that are presented throughout the documentary. Um, Is the death penalty right or wrong? Mm. Did the police fuck up the case? Uh, Are there flaws in the justice system? Why were the murderers not already in jail? Because Mm -hmm. they both had a long fucking rap sheet. Um, Religious brainwashing, childhood abuse, what happens to children who are abused and never have any sort of counseling or therapy. Wow, this is like an all-encompassing, like, hits every note. Dude, it goes into so much more than just the crime itself, which is what I, I... I did not expect any of that. OK, yeah. Um, I just expected it to be a story about the crime. And then during the trials of both men, members of the jury were exposed to disturbing evidence, including autopsy photos of the Ugh. victims, um, bodies which included images that uh, has had taken Um, On his phone of him and 11 year old Michaela when he assaulted her. So the jury had to fucking look at that. They don't really talk about this in a lot of detail in the documentary, but this is stuff that I, I... found out afterwards that as a result of the jury having to look at these like graphic photos, many members of the jury experienced severe psychological and emotional trauma. So the state of Connecticut actually offered to provide the jurors with free counseling. Wow. And after Hayes was sent to death row in 2010, he started exchanges with a North Carolina woman named Lynn. In the letters he sent to Lynn, Hayes actually confessed to killing 17 other women Ah. and teenage girls between the ages of 14 and 25 in the New England area um, from the early 80s up until 2007. None of this was in the documentary either. So this is all kind of shit that I found out later. According to Hayes, many of his victims were women and girls that he would pick up as hitchhikers and took back to his home that information comes from rancor. Mm. Hayes also said that he took shoes from his victim and kept them as trophies and investigators actually found several women's sneakers in his home oh, after he was arrested for the crimes he committed in Cheshire. In one of the letters he wrote to Lynn, Hayes also said that he videotaped the torture and death of a young woman, which he claimed was, quote, by far the best snuff film ever created. Quick side note, Spencer and I were driving down to Indianapolis uh, earlier this year to go visit my dad. And we were at a rest stop and there was two men driving a pickup truck and they just look shady as fuck. And because now I'm like hyper aware of everything that uh-huh. goes on because I watch so much true crime. I noticed in the back of their pickup truck, there was a ton of women's clothing and shoes, uh. including high heeled shoes. So I snapped a bunch of pictures of their license plate just in case I ever heard of a story about a bunch of like missing women in Indianapolis. I could like give that photo to the cops and be like, here's this license plate. Check out these fuckers." Cause there's no reason that these like two men that looked like they were hunters or, I mean, they were just, you know, flannel shirt, jean, grubby wearing, but they, they both kind of looked like Ed Gein, you know, there's no reason for them to have a flatbed truck full of women's clothing and high heeled shoes.
0: So it'd be funny if it turned out that they like worked for the local like uh Salvation Army and somebody had like just thrown a bunch of stuff in their car and they were going to like dump it off. And like I, I don't can't believe that bitch no. didn't give us a bag. Now we got to have the stuff in the bag. No, no, drunk. no.
1: I don't think so. <laughs> and if any of our listeners are from Indiana and they. um And if you've heard anything. If you've heard anything about missing women in Indiana and you want that license plate number <laughs> to give to the cops to help solve some unsolved murders or disappearances DM me that
0: was quick thinking good for you to snap pictures like I mean, that the,
1: the whole situation was like the one guy was kind of standing outside the truck looking around like super shady looking they, they both you know like they looked like they walked out of a horror movie yeah <laughs> like I said they both looked like huh Ed Gein or Ed Gein's relatives or something and wow. it just there was something not right about that but that was smart. situation Anyway, sorry for the deviation when they mentioned the shoes that they found in his apartment. It made me think of that story back to the Cheshire murders. So these monsters were fucked, so fucked up. They're disgusting. They um, I think they were never actually put to death um, because I think the state abolished the death penalty um, before. They were sentenced to death um, or before, the, you know, they're yeah. actually executed. Uh, I could be wrong. I'll have but to look that up later.
0: They're still in prison, obviously. E- or dead. Oh, yeah.
1: Obvi- I, I think they're both still alive and they're both still in prison. Yeah, I would recommend watching it. Um, Just be ready for yeah. it's not a laugh riot is what mm, you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sorry. That was a little bit of a, a bummer. Well, to end on but do you have any last last things that you want to talk about
0: yeah we were going to talk about abducted in plain sight because we've both seen it and i actually just rewatched it because it had been a while for me um but it's been covered so
1: fascinating
0: it it is and i have so much we could spend a whole episode on it but a lot of other folks have already um but since i just rewatched it recently i just really wanted to quickly give a shout out to uh the adult uh, Jan Broberg and Jan Broberg is the woman who was the, the abductee in question. Um, and I would just like to take a second and talk about how fucking amazing she is. Um, she endured this horrific experience, which you can watch the documentary or Google it. She got her shit together despite all this tragedy that and trauma that happened to her. And she took steps to reconnect with her mom Um, Even though like personally based on the documentary, I'm still not digging her mom too much, but they her mom wrote a book and they arranged these tours for the book. But then she also like like tours like victim centers and she speaks to other victims of assault and abuse and um, had like three or four other women contact her after she went public who said that they had also been abused by her abductor because he was a known pedophile which they i guess which according to the documentary the her family found out after the fact but um so that's really amazing but um she also looks like she has a family and moved on with her life and just like high five on being amazing at life jan like that's the main takeaway for that documentary for sure so i just wanted to toss that out there and then since it's been kind of a bummer talking about most of what we've been talking about, I just would like everyone to know that um, in 2019, Prime Amazon Prime has put out a documentary called Cat People. Um, it's all about cats and cat lovers. It's not in any way related to this episode, but I scrolled by it as I was looking through it and through for documentaries, and I was like... I- just want to make sure everybody knows this exists Uh so cat people on amazon prime if you like cats and cats like you i think you might like this
1: documentary i don't know i haven't watched it but i'm gonna i'm a cat people so i'm definitely gonna check that out all right well that is going to wrap it up and if you have any recommendations for any documentaries that you like and want to recommend to us uh please send those our way and uh if you have anything else that you would like to share with us any scary stories ghost stories uh what else
0: true crime if you live in that area of indiana like sharon said please do get in touch if there's if you've heard any weird shit going on
1: and if you have any commentary on anything that we uh talked about in this episode and would like to share your opinions uh please do so and as always thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy creepy with us